Because Manasseh was in Babylon and he cried out to God and God answered and he brought him back and his captors allowed him to come back. Do you realize that that's fulfilled prophecy? God told him exactly what, what he had to do when he was in captivity. He did it and God restored him. God was faithful. God was faithful to judge him for his sin and God was also faithful that when he repented to bring him back and see that is the key. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. Manasseh was raised by a godly father, yet he lived in defiance of his father's faith for most of his life. Nevertheless, at the end of his days, he truly repented and served God. In this way, we can say that it was very true that Manasseh rested with his fathers. His repentance was too late to change the nation. It was also not soon enough to change the dynasty of the kingdom. Years later, when Jerusalem fell to the Babylonians, the writer would blame Judah's punishment on the sins of Manasseh. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he concludes chapter 21 in the book of 2 Kings. Plenteous in mercy, long-suffering. I wish Gail Irwin were here. If you ever heard Gail Irwin do this, you'd, be, you'd giggle with the suspenders. You know, I, won't, I can't even do it, so I won't even do it. But God is patient. And God was going to be faithful to the promises that he had made Write another verse down here. Jeremiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 13. Because God is going to be faithful to his promises that he made. And what is this promise? The Lord said, verse 13 of Jeremiah 9, because they have forsaken my law, and here God is speaking to Jeremiah to give this message to Judah, because they have forsaken my law, which I set before them, and have not obeyed my voice, nor walked according to it, but they've walked according to the dictates of their own hearts, and after the Baals, which their fathers taught them, notice, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will feed them, this people, with worms. Wood. That's never a good thing. And I will give them water of gall to drink. This is not Gatorade. This is something really horrible. And I will scatter them. Notice what God says. I will scatter them among the Gentiles whom neither they nor their fathers have known. And I will send the sword after them until I have consumed them. It's been said by one great man of God. His name is Merrill Unger. He said, those who sin against the greatest light fall into the deepest darkness. And I think about the light that Manasseh had, having such a great dad, Hezekiah. And because of that great light that he had, this man plummeted to the very bottom 
He plummeted right to the bottom. Verse 16, Moreover, Manasseh shed much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to the other because his sin by which he had made Judah to sin in doing evil in the sight of the Lord. In fact, um, it's at this point we believe uh, in Hebrews chapter 11. You might want to write this verse down in the margin of your Bible off of 16. Hebrews 11, chapter, uh, Hebrews 11, verses 36 and 37. Notice what it says. This man was so evil... I shouldn't be laughing, I should be crying. Notice what it says in Hebrews, verse 36. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. But notice, they were stoned, meaning they were stoned to death. Some of these heroes of the faith were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute and afflicted and tormented. But notice when it says they were sawn in two. Tradition tells us, Jewish tradition tells us, Jerome, the translator, tells us. And again, this is a tradition, but it's believed that it was Manasseh that had killed Isaiah the prophet. This is what the tradition tells us. And tradition tells us that they hollowed out a log. They hollowed out the log and they stuck him in it. And then they got the guys with the saws and they sawed the tree in half, thus sawing him in half. This Manasseh, putting to death one of the greatest prophets Israel has ever known, Isaiah the prophet, Verse 17, now the rest of the acts of Manasseh, all that he did and the sin that he committed, are they not written in the books, book, excuse me, of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? Well, funny you should ask. Go ahead and ask. Is it, is it really there? Yeah, let's go there. Go with me to Second Chronicles now, chapter 33. Second Chronicles chapter 33. Again, if we only read this passage in 2 Kings, we wouldn't know the best part of Manasseh's life. And this is why I'd like for you to encourage you, whenever you read Kings, and I've said this before, look at the parts in the Chronicles that, that, that correspond to those kings, because oftentimes you'll get more information, and this is one that I'm really glad that it's written here, because otherwise we would have missed the, one of the most glorious things that ever happened. Second Chronicles 33, beginning in verse 10. Notice this. So, you know, Second Kings told us what a horrible man. Now, let's fill in the blanks a little bit. What happened in the latter part of his reign? What caused him to turn? And here's the exciting part, folks. And the Lord, Second Chronicles 33, verse 10. And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but notice they would not listen. Therefore, the Lord brought upon them the captains of the army of the king of Assyria. And this king of Assyria at this time was probably Asher Banipal, who reigned from 668 to 626 BC. But notice, he took Manasseh with hooks. And literally, in the margins of your Bible, you might, it might even say they, they, they put hooks. In, in his nose, nose hooks. And they bound him with bronze fetters and they carried him to Babylon. Now when he was in affliction, notice this, he implored the Lord his God and he humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and he prayed to God and he received his entreaty, heard his supplication, brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. This is incredible, folks. This is amazing. This horrible man goes into, into, into 
prison, being led by hooks in his nose, and he gets changed. The Lord gets a hold of him, and the Lord listens to him. And and God received his entreaty, heard his supplication, brought him back to Jerusalem, into his kingdom, and then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Oh my goodness, the light bulb goes off. After this, notice, he built a wall outside the city of David on the west side of Gihon in the valley, as far as the entrance of the fish gate, and it enclosed Ophel. And he raised it to a very great height. He put military captains on all the fortified cities of Jerusalem. He took away the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord and all the altars that he had built in the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem. He cast them out of the city. He also repaired the altar of the Lord, sacrificed peace offerings and thank offerings on it, and commanded Judah to serve the Lord God. of This is like a a revival. (laughs) Certainly not like Hezekiah, but he, he really understood the grace of God. And, and look at the response of a heart that has been in such darkness. And then God hears him, and God does this for him. See, we're always indebted to God. We're always indebted to him. He doesn't owe us anything. We owe him everything. He delivered you and I from so great a death. So great a death. I wonder what would happen if we just spent one minute in hell. (laughs) I'm glad that we don't have to, but I would imagine that if every person in the world was to spend one minute in hell, this church would be completely packed. Every church in America would be completely filled, and they'd have to build new ones that would accommodate the people that would say, I've had it. But see, that's the reality. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh, his prayer to his God, and the words of the seers who spoke to him in the name of the Lord God of Israel. Indeed, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel. We just read that. And also his prayer and how God received his entreaty and all his sin and his trespasses and the sites where he built the high places and set up wooden images and carved images before he was humbled. Indeed, they are written among the sayings of Hosea, or literally the seers in the Septuagint. So Manasseh, he rested with his fathers. They buried him in his own house. And then his son Ammon reigned in his place. And um, I want you to turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 8. We have to read this. Because why is this such a big deal? I mean, other than the obvious that this man... So 1 Kings chapter 8, please go there and look at verse 46 through 53 with me. Because here is the glory of this whole thing that we've been talking about tonight. Because God is going to be faithful. Just as God was faithful in the judgment that he was going to bring upon those who did those things, he is also faithful to adhere to the promise that he gave to Solomon. And what do I mean by that? Look with me at verse 46. And Solomon, when he dedicated the temple, remember, he says, and he says, when they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, Solomon says, and you become angry, God, with them, and you deliver them to the enemy, and they take them captive to the land of the enemy, far or near. And isn't that what just happened to Manasseh? Now pay attention. Yet when they come to themselves in the land where they were carried captive, meaning Manasseh, and they repent, 
And they make supplication to you in the land of those who took them captive, saying, We have sinned and done wrong. We have committed wickedness. And when they turn to you with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies who led them away captive, and they pray to you toward their land, which you gave to their fathers, the city which you have chosen, and the temple which I have built for your name, then here in heaven, your dwelling place, their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause. And then forgive them, your people who have sinned against you and all their transgressions which they have transgressed against you and grant them compassion before those who took them captive that they may have compassion on them. For they are your people and your inheritance whom you brought out of Egypt, out of the iron furnace, that your eyes may be open to the supplication of your servant and the supplication of your people Israel to listen to them whenever they call to you. For you separated them from among all the peoples of the earth to be your inheritance as you spoke by your servant Moses when you brought our fathers out of Egypt, O Lord God. Do you see what happened? God was faithful to that promise that he had given. Because Manasseh was in Babylon and he cried out to God and God answered and he brought him back and his captors allowed him to come back. Do you realize that that's fulfilled prophecy? God told him exactly what what he had to do when he was in captivity. He did it and God restored him. God was faithful. God was faithful to judge him for his sin and God was also faithful that when he repented to bring him back and see that is the key. Love God, don't you? He's so faithful. He's so faithful. I would encourage you to write. We don't have time to go here, but um, write down Second Chronicles chapter 7, verses 12 through 22. One of the, the greatest verses in that passage I have to read because I'm compelled to do it. It says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, if they do this, then, do you see the the um oh what's the word i want <laughs> yes it's a, it's a it's an unconditional it's a conditional statement isn't it there's a condition whenever you have if they do this then i will do this that's conditional isn't it because if they don't do this then i'm gonna, then i'm not going to do this it's conditional now god gives plenty of unconditional promises for us the church you know he he does and even the jews he gave unconditional promises and those are the best ones But he also holds us accountable and says, if you do this, then I'm going to do this too. And that's exactly what he did. If my people who are called by my... And of course he's speaking about the Jews, but I think this is also applicable to us. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. There is the recipe for our revival in this country. That is the recipe how America gets turned around, not through any other um, political person or personality. This is the solution for turning America around. No man, no woman. It's all about this verse Second Chronicles seven fourteen. Make it part of your life, and may we as a church take it in, and may we be part of that change. But God is faithful, and just um, 
And he's not a respecter of persons. In other words, God's not partial to one group over another. There's always a consequence for sin. Whether it's the Babylonians, the Assyrians, or even his own people, he is not a respecter of persons. He's not. God doesn't wink his eye at sin. So Manasseh rested with his fathers, was buried in the garden of his own house. And let me just quickly read to you these last few verses because there's not a whole lot about Ammon. He was just a rotten scoundrel. End of story. He died and it was over. (laughs) Okay, but let's read it. Ammon, his son, was 22 years old when he became king. He reigned two years. Notice, a, a man who reigned 55 years, and most of those years were completely decrepit. And then toward the end of his reign... He repents, and thank God that he did. It's, it's unheard of for an evil king to repent like that. But his son, Ammon, was 22 years old when he became king. He reigned two years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Meshulamath, the daughter of Herez of Jotbah. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, as his father Manasseh had done. So he walked in all the ways that his father had walked, and he served the idols that his father had served, and he worshipped them. He forsook the Lord God of his fathers and did not walk in the way of the Lord. So for some reason, Amnon did not consider this change in his father. It was almost like it never happened. And certainly it was toward the end of his reign, so it wasn't really significant. And perhaps that's why in Second Kings 21 it makes no mention of it. We had to go to Chronicles to find it. It was just a short time, but the Lord did it. After all that debauchery, he just the guy repents, he comes back, and he removes all that stuff that he had built up again. But for some reason, Ammon didn't even consider any of this, but resorted back to idolatry. Notice verse 23, then his servants. And here's the, what does the Bible say? The wages of sin is what? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But the, but the wages of sin is death. Hold that in your mind because then the servants of Ammon conspired against him and killed the king in his own house. He didn't even make it to his 24th birthday. But the people of the land executed all those who had conspired against King Ammon. They had enough of, a, of a, a justice in them, because the law said that if you killed somebody, you, you too would be killed. But the people of the land executed all those who conspired against King Ammon, and then the people of the land made his son Josiah king in his place. Ah, Josiah. I can't wait till next week, because when we get to Josiah, we're going to see another wonderful man. He was only eight years old when he became king. Can you imagine an eight-year-old? He's still playing with Legos. And thank God he's got men around him that are, that are nurturing him and that, that are teaching him. Eight years old he started, and he was a great and awesome king. But unfortunately, after Josiah, Judah's going to plunge right into the abyss, and they'd be taken captive by the Babylonians. But I can't wait to read about him because another great revival takes place in Judah and Jerusalem. And I pray for that for America. 
I don't think we should just settle and think, well, we're going to hell in a handbasket. We might as well just buckle up and let it go. No, I say we pray like never before. And I say that we do what we can to preserve this great nation of ours and not just accept it. It's going to happen at some point, we believe, but do we just roll over and act like and pretend and just, oh, we might as well, whatever, you know, and just go about our daily lives, just let the thing go? I don't, I don't think that's the right course. God would have us pray. God would have us do right things. God would have us love. God would have us share his truth. We ought not to just cave in and be feudalistic, fatalistic. Then the people of the land made his son Josiah king in his place. Now the rest of the acts of Ammon, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? And honestly, you can read Second Chronicles 33, verses 21 through 25, but it really doesn't give us any more information about Ammon's life at all. So we won't go there, but you can read it yourself. But notice, he was buried in his tomb in the garden of Uzzah, which is the same place that his father was buried in the same place that Manasseh was buried. And then Josiah, his son, reigned in his place. And so not a good man. Certainly Ammon wasn't, but Manasseh started off really bad, but became a great, uh, something totally different at the end. And uh, I just love how God doesn't give up on you. He doesn't give up on people. The only time that God gives up on you is when you take your last breath. And then your decision will stand. But until you take your last breath, I believe that God is always working, always wooing you to himself. Like a bridegroom does a bride. He's always wooing her, winning her heart. Always trying to win her heart. God is doing the same thing for you and I, and even for unbelievers. And I was an unbeliever at one point, and I can tell you, that in my darkest depravity, God was always searching me out. And I was so ashamed and I was so hurt and living in misery. And God didn't just say, well, you've made your bed, son, sleep in it. No, he reached down. He threw down the rope. And he says, wrap that around your foot. And I'm pulling you out of this mess right now. And he pulls me right out. And he did the same thing for you. Hallelujah. Isn't that awesome? I love God. Don't you just love Jesus for what he has done? Let's stand together and let's pray. Lord, we thank you for tonight. We thank you, even though this passage is really difficult to read. Lord, and it's certainly not encouraging, the beginning of it anyway, but Lord, we're thankful, Lord, that you grabbed a hold of this evil man's heart. And Lord, you're, you're, never, you're, you're never too late, God. You're always on time. I, I don't understand the mystery of it. Lord, it boggles me. It, 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 it confuses me to consider your greatness and your grace. I don't understand it, Lord. And I'm so glad I don't. It's, it's your business. And you do that in the lives of so many people. You did it to all of us in this room, God. And we're so thankful tonight. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us. Thank you for never giving up on us. I pray that you'd never, even now, even in the midst of where we're at, even in the midst of the things in our hearts right now today, even today when we failed you somehow, Lord, you're not angry with us. You've put that sin, if we confess it, you'll never look upon it again. Lord, that's the promise that you have given to us, that Christ, the blood of Christ, covers us, cleanses us, forgives us, and you'll never look upon it again. You'll never, ever look upon it again.
And that's how great a salvation we have. And for that, Lord, we say thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We owe you our lives. We owe you everything, Lord. Would you take us? Would you transform us? Would you renew us? Would you revive us? Tonight we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. That's the end of our lesson for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Kings. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.